be opening your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter chapter 2. We had a wonderful service this morning. We, we set a record so far this year, 86. It's a good thing that we've done it early in the year. That way we've got the rest of the year now to beat that record. We're just four away from 90. That's not much, is it? So let's, uh, let's be working toward that. And uh, that's just uh, a demonstration of the great effort this congregation is putting forth to do what God has asked us to do. I appreciate Brother Carl so much. I thought he did a wonderful job this morning. He has a lot of insight into the uh, authors of these songs and, and this is the second time that, that we've done this and it went, it went smooth this time. We kind of I, I messed this up a little bit last time but uh, it went very, very well this time and look forward to, uh, to doing that again sometime in the future. I thought it was we just had a great day and I appreciate that. Speaking of great things, I came across a list of the world's 1,000 greatest things. <clears throat> now, I'm not going to list each one of those, but I, I did write a few down that I thought was very interesting. Uh, several of these things uh, people at my house would think are great. The first one I wrote was living with someone who doesn't mind killing spiders. Look, I think that's great. I don't know if I live with people who don't mind killing spiders, but I just happen to live with people who are going to kill spiders. And I'm not going to be the one doing that. Building a stack of pancakes that looks just like the front of the box. Spending all your money on candy. Perfect parallel parking on the first try. Eating cookies like Cookie Monster. Roasting the perfect marshmallow. Taking your shoes and socks off. That happens at my house all the time. The smell and sound of a campfire. Snow falling on Christmas Eve. The other side of the pillow. Isn't the other side of the pillow great? I love it. When you microwave popcorn, it pops perfectly. When you spill something on your shirt, it doesn't leave a stain. Ripping your present open like a wild animal. When that kid crying in the mall isn't your kid. <laughs> when someone takes care of you when you're sick. Getting away with putting three desserts on your plate. I tell Blakelyn all the time we have a fellowship meal and she, she doesn't just put three desserts on her plate. She has all the desserts on her plate. And I tell her, I say, look, don't let them cut you short on the desserts now. Walking into the grocery store and seeing the first shipment of eggnog. When one of your paintings or tests makes it onto the fridge. This is one of my favorites. Intense post-Halloween candy trades and Sundays. These are some of the greatest things that, that I noticed as I was looking over this list that stuck out in my mind. But those aren't the greatest things, are they? The greatest things in the world are those things that we find in the Bible. Let's notice Second Peter chapter 2, the first four verses. But there were false prophets among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, 
who privately shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that brought them, and bring destruction upon themselves. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And though covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you whose judgments now for a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell, and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. Now that is a wonderful passage. That's just simply not the one I was looking for. So give me just a moment, let me find that. Uh, we probably ought to, but I tell you what, I'm just going to choose another passage. I'm going to choose another one here real quickly. Uh, if I can find it. There is a passage, I think, in First Peter, or Second Peter, Cameron, that talks about God giving unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. That's 1 Peter 3. Okay, 2 Peter chapter 3. That's, that's where I made my mistake, wasn't it? 1 Peter chapter 3? Oh, okay. Now you got, I can't hear very good. So, Alright, let's, let's go there. Second, or Second Peter chapter 1, beginning verse 3, According as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world. The Bible is full of great things. The greatest things in the world can be found in the Bible. We answer some of the greatest questions that we could ever hope to answer by reading through the Bible. Why am I here? How did I get here? Where am I going when this life is over? Those are fundamental questions that man has attempted to answer throughout his existence. I want us to notice for a few moments tonight some of the greatest things of the Bible. We're going to start with Within the Bible text, we learn about the greatest invitation. The greatest invitation. Why is it great? Why is the greatest invitation that we read of in the Bible so great? Well, it's not selective. It is open to all who would uh, make themselves amenable to it in a way that God wants them to. 
It's open to anyone who will accept it. Notice what Jesus said, Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30. He said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Who did he write that to? The world. He wrote that to the world. He made that statement to the world. The invitation is not selective. The whole purpose for Christ's coming, he said, recorded in Luke 19.10, to seek and to save that which is lost. Well, who is lost? The world is lost. Every person who comes to the age of accountability finds themselves in a lost condition. And so they have to do something about that. When we notice this great invitation, it is so great because no longer would God's people be the physical people of Israel. It would be the world, those who will give themselves to God. Paul exclaimed, For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Galatians 3, 26 and 27. When we look at the beginning of that letter, Galatians 1, the first few Verses of that, we understand who he wrote that letter to. He's not making a general statement to, to every single person in the world that we are the children of God by faith. That's not what he's doing. That's a misapplication of that verse. This letter was written to the church in Galatia. Those people who were reading this letter were Christians. They had obeyed the gospel. And they are the ones, anyone for that matter, who has obeyed the gospel... Paul says, we are the children of God by faith. Who? Those of us who have been baptized into Christ and have put on Christ. The Lord's church is not some kind of a secret society. Instead, it is open to all who choose to enter into it. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. John 14, verse 6. Many in the world, in the religious world, teach that this great invitation is so selective that, they, that the Lord said, this person will be saved and that person will be lost. They think it is that selective. Nothing could be further from the truth. God did not select individuals. He elected a group of people who would give themselves to God, who would allow themselves to be added to the Lord's church. That's why the invitation is so great. Christ can save all who will allow themselves to be saved. Anyone can enter into the, the, uh, uh, the fold of Jesus Christ if they allow themselves to do that. Luke recorded the events that surrounded the establishment of the first church that Christ built, the church of Christ at Jerusalem. He said, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved, Acts 2.47. It's not selective in individuals. Every individual is invited. That's why the invitation is so great by the sheer, sheer number of the people who have been invited. When we look at John 3.16, one of the greatest verses in the Bible and most abused perhaps. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth on Him should not perish but have everlasting life. He gave that Message. He sent His Son to the world. That's the greatest number that this invitation could go out to. But it does. And whosoever, now that's the individual, isn't it? 
believeth on Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. It's the greatest invitation because it is not selective. But it's the greatest invitation because the Savior is the one who extended it. Jesus extended it Himself. Why? We can't save ourselves. We're not able to do that. The great prophet Jeremiah said, O Lord, I know that the way of man is not in him that he should uh, guide his own steps. He cannot direct his steps, Jeremiah 10, 23. If man cannot direct his own steps in daily life, how in the world can he figure out a way to save himself? It took a Savior to do that, didn't it? That's why the invitation is so great. We could not come to God any other way. His sole purpose for coming to the earth was to be our Savior. Do you recall when Matthew recorded Joseph's interaction with the angel of God? And Joseph was pondering these facts that he had discovered that Mary was with child and he was trying to determine what to do. He was a good man. He didn't want to make a scene. He didn't want to disparage the woman any more than what she would have already been. Matthew records, but while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, the son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost, and she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. Why? For he shall save his people from their sins. That was the whole purpose of this great invitation. So Jesus could save us from our sins. For man to gain salvation, it was necessary for God to send a Savior, for Him to take the form of a man and to live among men. The greatest invitation is great because it is not selective. It is great because the Savior Himself extended it. But it's also the greatest invitation because it is the greatest sacrifice that we have. It offers the greatest sacrifice. Jesus offers to us His love in such a way that He gave His He gave Himself to take care of our greatest problem, sin. Under the old law, sin was merely rolled forward, wasn't it? We talked about that. Year by year, the, on the Day of Atonement, a sacrifice had to be made. The writer of Hebrews explained to us, Hebrews 10, 1 through 4, he said, For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices, which they offered year by year continually, make the comers thereunto perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered? Because that the worshippers once purged should have had no more conscience of sin. <clears throat> but in those sacrifices there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. The ultimate sacrifice had to be perfect and sinless. That's why the invitation is so great. Peter said, 1 Peter 2, 21-23, Christ also suffered for us leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. That is why Christ lived in the way that he lived. Not because it was an easy task. It wasn't any easier for Christ to live in this world sinless any more than it is for any of us to live in this world sinlessly but He did it because of His great love. I think when we study through the Bible and we think of great things, this great invitation has to come up and stick out in our minds. 
But I think that as we study through the Bible, we learn another one of these greatest things. We learn about the greatest confession. The greatest confession. Why is it great? Why is the confession of the New Testament great? Because it reflects Christ. The Ethiopian eunuch made the great confession and Luke described it this way, Acts 8, 35-37. Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same Scripture, the very same Scripture where the Ethiopian eunuch was reading in Isaiah, and he preached unto him Jesus. And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water, what doth hinder me to be baptized? Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And the eunuch said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Why is that great confession so important? Because it brings us unto salvation. That's why it's important. Paul said, Romans 10, 9 and 10, If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised Him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Belief brings us unto righteousness, right? We believe what the Bible says. That brings us to the point we can become righteous before God. We don't take upon ourselves Christ's righteousness. He doesn't give us His righteousness. We stand justified. We stand righteous in the presence of God. That's the power of the blood. It washes our sins away. But that belief brings us unto righteousness because we've got a desire to believe what the Bible says. But it doesn't make us righteous. It puts us on the course to becoming righteous. Just like belief in righteousness, confession brings us unto salvation. Not into it. We can't call on the name of the Lord and by a mere statement of saying, I believe Jesus is the Son of God and that save us. That confession is not going to make us saved. It brings us unto salvation. We have to complete The obedience process, don't we? That's why it's so great though. The greatest confession reflects just exactly how great Christ is. But it's also great for another reason. Because it reflects our character. The gospel changes people. That's how powerful it is. We don't just state with our mouths that we believe Jesus is the Son of God. We live our lives that reflects that. And the world can see that. And they understand something is different. They believe in Jesus as the Son of God. They're faithful. And that means we remain faithful and obedient toward Him as we walk in this life. Paul told the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 1 verse 2, he said that they had been sanctified in Christ, called to be saints. What does that mean? Sanctified means being set apart for a very specific purpose. We are set apart to worship God, to serve God. The psalmist declared, Psalm 4 verse 3, But know that the Lord hath set apart him that is godly for himself. What's the whole purpose of us being here? To fear God and keep His commandments? The wise king said that. While we're here, we are to worship God, we are to honor God, we are to serve God. That's the only reason He created us. He didn't create us simply to work in a secular world and allow the great blessings of wisdom and intelligence and knowledge to allow us to build up a great society so we can make uh, money, 
hand over fist. That's wonderful if we can do that. He isn't opposed to that. That's not our purpose for being here, is it? Our purpose is to serve Him. And when we confess our belief in Christ publicly, that isn't so God knows and understands what we believe. He knows what we believe. He knows what our heart is, right? The writer of Hebrews made mention of that in Hebrews 4 verse 12, right? That the, the Word is able to discern the thoughts and the intents of the heart. God knows what we believe. We do that so other people can understand we believe it. What does that do for other people? That's an encouragement, isn't it? That's an encouragement to also for them to be able to stand up and say, I believe in God. I believe Christ is who He said He was. I'm going to live in that manner. The Bible shows us the greatest invitation. It demonstrates to us the greatest confession. And it offers the greatest salvation. It's the greatest salvation because it is superior to all other things in the world. The writer of Hebrews declared this. Hebrews 2 verses 1 through 4, he said, Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? Which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, and was confirmed unto us by them that heard Him. God also bearing them witness, both with signs and wonders and with diverse miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to His own will. What's He talking about? The word spoken by angels is a direct reference to the old law given to Moses on Mount Sinai. Stephen said this, Acts seven thirty-seven through 38 He said, This is that Moses which said unto the children of Israel, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren like unto me. Him shall ye hear. This is He that was in the church in the wilderness with the angel which spake to Him in the Mount Sinai, and with our fathers who received the lively oracles to give unto us. He went on to tell the Jews, Acts 7, 53, You received the law by the dispensation of angels and have not kept it. The angels brought the message to Moses, and Moses recorded it. Of course, he became angry. He broke the stones. He had to go back up for another 40 days and record it again. This time, God didn't chisel out the words. Moses had to do it because of his anger. We're so much more fortunate than those who lived under the patriarchal law or those who ever lived under the Old Testament law, the Jewish law. Why? Because we can have our sins forgiven And that is the end of it. And then we can strive to live like Christ wants us to live. It's the greatest salvation. It's the greatest salvation because it's superior to any other thing. But it's also the greatest salvation because it was selected by God to come in exactly the right time in the history of man. In other words, the timing of Christ's appearance was perfect. Paul said this, Galatians 4, 4, But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law. There could not have been a better time in the history of man for Christ to come into the world to bring the soul-saving message of His gospel. Why was the time right? Why exactly 
made that situation so perfect for Christ to come into the world. Well, let's think about the things that were going on in that part of the world at that time. Under the Babylonian rule, the Jewish synagogue had been put into place. God's people had been taken into captivity. They had been carried off to Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar was one of those kings. And because they were out of the homeland, they had to institute the synagogue system. They were away from the temple. That stayed with them. They had a temple when they came back, but they also had synagogues. And it was in those synagogues where the apostles did much of their preaching. The Medes and the Persians contributed their famous system of law. Once a law was made, it could not be unmade. And that influenced the Roman system of law. And that law saved Paul's life on numerous occasions, along with other Christians. The Greek Empire gave the world a common language, a common language that all people could understand and speak. And it was at that time that the world was operating under that one language, and that was the perfect time for the gospel to be preached to the whole world. Of course, the Romans, they provided ease of travel. They had some of the greatest road systems the world has ever known, and some of them even in existence until today. It is the greatest salvation. It's the greatest salvation because it was selected at the right time, but we have to select to accept it. We have to choose that for ourselves. And we have to do it because it's the right thing to do, not because we're pressured into it. We were created in the image of God and that makes us free will beings. God wants us to choose to love Him because of who He is, not because of what He makes us do. Christ said this, Matthew seven twenty one, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. We have to choose to do that will. And we have to do it because that's what we want to do. It's always been up to the individual to choose his or her path in this world. David declared this, Psalm 1 verse 3. He said, I have set the Lord always before me because He is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Uh, Read that Psalm 16 verse 8. Because of that, Psalm 1 verse 3, He said that, He would be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth, that shall prosper. But because he chose to do that, the Bible shows us the greatest invitation the world has ever known. It has shown us the greatest confession that the world has ever known. It undoubtedly has given to us the greatest salvation that the world has ever known. And it has also given us the greatest conclusion. That's our fourth and final point for this evening. It is the greatest conclusion because it gives us the opportunity to eternal peace. Eternal peace. For those who accept this greatest conclusion in life, the trials and the temptations of this life will cease to exist. In the Revelation, John confirmed, Revelation 21.4, God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. The greatest conclusion makes the hardships of this life worth the next. Christ said this, Revelation 2.10, Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, 
that ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. But he had already stated years before that, Matthew 24, verse 13, He that endureth unto the end, the same shall be saved. There's another reason this conclusion is the greatest conclusion. Those who refuse to submit to Christ will be subject to eternal punishment. Now that isn't great because it's good. That's great just because of the sheer number of people who go into eternity every single day unprepared to meet God. It is an enormous number. It is a great number. And most people are going to take part in that portion of eternity. And we need to understand not only is eternal peace within our grasp, but eternal punishment will be the fate of many. Some teach the lie that a truly loving God would not punish someone eternally. Well, there's a problem with that mindset. And that happens to be that a truly loving and just God will punish eternally. He says He would. I'm going to take Him at His word. He doesn't punish because that's what He wants. It's His desire that all men come to the truth and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. It's His desire that all men would be saved. But He is a just and a fair God. And if he says that sin has to be punished with death, then sin must be punished with death. Not because that's what he wants, but because it is fair and just. The writer of Hebrews warned this. Hebrews 10, 28-31. He said, He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment, suppose you, shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God? who hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing, and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace. For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto me, I will recompense, said the Lord, and again the Lord shall judge his people. He said it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But it doesn't have to be a fearful thing, does it? It doesn't have to be. And it will not be for the faithful. The good news is that we write our own conclusion. That's the good news. There are many great things that we can enjoy in this life, but the greatest things are those things that we find taught in the Bible. We see the greatest invitation. We see the greatest confession, the greatest salvation, and the greatest conclusion. The greatest thing that we can ever do is ensure that we're going to be in that group of people who stand before the Lord and they hear, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. How do we do that? We have to obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've talked about the belief that brings us unto righteousness. We talk about the confession that brings us unto salvation. Well, if confession brings us to the point of salvation, something puts us into salvation. Well, Paul told us that. We mentioned that, Galatians 3, 26 and 27. Baptism does that. Puts us into Christ. The same process that puts us into Christ washes our sins away. The same process that washes our sins away adds us to the Lord's church. The same process that adds us to the Lord's church gives us a clear conscience toward God through the process of baptism. And that's what we have to do. And then, of course, we live a faithful life. Sometimes we don't live a faithful life. We still need to be able to change course. And we can do that as long as we are alive. We can still write our own conclusion. 
If we've been unfaithful, we can come back to God and we ask Him to forgive us. The church can pray with us and for us if that is the process that we need to go through if we've sinned in some public way. Privately, we go to God on our own, just between He and us. And we ask Him to forgive us, and He will do that. If you have need to answer this Lord's invitation at this time, let that be known as we stand and as we sing.